Habits and Health, episode 12. Welcome to the Habits and Health podcast, where we believe creating healthy habits should be easy. Brought to you by an educator and coach for anyone who wants to create a healthier life. Here's your host, Tony Winyard. Welcome to another episode of Habits and Health. My guests today are Johnny and Yusuf from the Propane Fitness Podcast and also the Propane Business Podcast. They've combined their knowledge of of fitness and health and medicine and and many other areas and created quite a, a unique, some content which they help people with, they coach people in in fitness in business in in many different areas so we're gonna hear a lot more from johnny and yusuf coming up please do if you like this show share it with anyone who you feel would really appreciate some of the content why not subscribe leave a review and hope you enjoy this week's episode welcome to habits and health my guests today are johnny and yusuf how you doing guys very good thank you for having us on and you're, because you're up in Newcastle. We are. Yeah. Apparently, you said it's snowing today. Not today, but it, it has been. So for the past, like, week or so, it's been intermittent, you know, lovely kind of almost summery weather, and then snow. So it really catches you off guard. Go outside in shorts and then blowing a snowman. Nailed by the snowman, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but you guys in Newcastle go out in shorts even when it's snowing, from what I hear. Yusuf and I are soft. We stay inside all the time, so we, we haven't got the hard Geordie exterior, unfortunately. Well, you don't have a Geordie accent either. I know. People can barely understand me with my, my Geordie accent, so I'm glad that you <laughs> that you think so. So, I mean, you're both, you've got a, a fantastic podcast, uh, Propane, Propane Fitness. And is it... Is, from what we were talking about before the recording started, is there another element to the podcast? Is there two different names, or is it what is the situation with your podcast? Yeah, so we have we have two podcasts actually. So we have, uh, I guess the, the the business propane fitness is two things at this point. Um, so we do um, online fitness coaching, and sell like online fitness products, and uh, we have a, a portal with a ton of information in basically the content of our of our brains emptied into the internet um, behind a, a login. And then we we also teach uh, personal trainers to basically model what we've done. So we have a, a business side of what we do as well. And that's called Pro, the Propane Business Podcast or Grow Your Online Fitness Business because we couldn't right. get the Propane Business Podcast um, as a name. So yeah, we have two podcasts now. Um, the business one's more recent. That's about a year old. And I think the fitness one we've been doing since 2012. Maybe earlier. Yeah, but it's, I mean, don't go back any earlier than that because it's like (laughs) a a plastic cup with string between it. So pretty terrible. Yeah, it really is bad. Wow, that's a long time, nine years. There's not many people have been doing episodes that long. And what was it, can you remember what was the initial impetus to start? What was the idea? It was just scratching our own itch. We were very frustrated with how chaotic online fitness information was and everything was really skewed by supplement um, sales and marketing quick fixes and all that stuff and we were like right we've just about found something that works and has produced results for ourselves so let's just get that down on paper and save people the time of 
of going around the houses trying to get some results for themselves. And really, as Johnny said, the 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 next step of that was because the kind of topics that we wrote about tended to be quite nerdy, like we were really into leucine metabolism and carb backloading and alternate day fasting and all this stuff that general population fitness people aren't that interested in. We had a lot of personal trainers that became our audience. And then they started to sign up with us and ask like, oh, well, can you help me set up my own online fitness presence? And how do I model what you guys have done? And then we were like, you know what, we should probably turn that into something more formalized. And that's how the second parts come about. So it was kind of an accident. And, and your, your backgrounds are quite different from what I know. So th- this is the, the problem. The with- constant problem. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever we do podcasts with both of us, we have this, someone asks a question, and we both look at each other, and then I go to talk, but I think he's just going to talk, and then he goes to talk, and he thinks I, I'm going to talk. So we keep meaning to get paddles as a, as a system, <laughs> but we just never got around to it yet. Um, but yeah, we do have... Well, we, I suppose we have sim- similar background at the very beginning. So we actually went to school together. Um, so our friendship goes back to like 2006 or something like that. Um, where we used to train together in the school gym and then uh, both left and did. I don't know how loud that banging is. Is it, is it Go bad? On, it's okay. Yeah. It won't be that bad. Go on. Um, we, we both left uh, school, went to university, studied finance, career, uh, finance degrees left and actually did finance careers um and it was at that point that things started to divert that uh, uh, separate so yusuf oh well i'll let yusuf do yusuf that's he'll, he'll be much better than me um but i <laughs> i left and did accountancy qualified as an accountant and then quit that um, just after i qualified and moved into working on propane fitness full-time um and i've been doing that since 26 february 2016 to now um and Yusuf did so I was working in an investment bank by that point propane hadn't really like certainly wasn't in a financial position to be able to support us and so I was like I should really like I'm I'm in quite I want to figure out like how does leucine actually work like that was the, the thing I was obsessed with at the time and I was like well the best way to do that is probably going to med school so <laughs> naively I, I was like oh, I'll, I'll just I'll go and go and do that so I so I quit my job um applied to be a doctor and then seven years later here we are and during that time that's where propane did start to take off and now it's at the point where um we're really looking to to go all in on that and so you said, so you, you did a seven-year course to be a doctor, and is that, are you specialising in any area? Or? So I'm at, I'm at the point now in, so I'm, I'm a junior doctor, and I'm at the point now where you would go into specialty training. And so there's a natural career break. So for me, it makes sense to, to basically focus on propane, and there's no kind of penalty for, for dipping out at this point. Um, if you do it mid-specialty training or earlier, then you basically have to go back to level one. Um, you have to fight the boss at the end of level three again and then um, go to the checkpoint. And so, yeah. So what is, what is your main aim? Who is it you're trying to reach and how are you trying to help them? 
it's effectively us five years ago. And that's always been the the target audience for ourselves. And it's, the, and it's what we recommend coaches that we work with choose as their niche. One of the problems that you see people do is you might have a 25-year-old guy with no dependence and no care responsibilities. He's got all the time in the world to train. And he goes, I'm going to work with single moms or middle-aged women or something. And you can go like, well, okay, you, you can do, but what will they see in you? Like, why would they see you as an authority or have any, why would they recognize that you have any kind of recognition of what challenges that person is going through? And so instead, it's much easier if you're already a chapter ahead in your journey to someone who would have been in your position three, four, five years ago, then they're the perfect person to work with because you understand all of their struggles and all their frustrations intimately and you can help them more closely with that. And is it predominantly personal trainers or is there other other areas as well? Um. Uh, like on the on the business side of what we do, I think we we'd work with anyone that is a a service based business, basically. So um, the systems and the stuff that works in propane is the same. Whether you're teaching fitness or, I guess we've we transferred the same model to teaching fitness. We've done some uh, lifestyle habit development coaching. We've done some meditation coaching. We've then even done some um, like more more recently into like full business coaching. We've used the same systems for all of those niches and markets. Um, and we work with, I think like we've got people we're working with now is obviously personal trainers, belly dancing teachers, yoga teachers. There's a chef in there. There's a photographer. So, you know, there's a foot, there is a spectrum of, of coaches we work with, but they're, they all are, are all offering a service online. Um, mm. and I think, yeah, as Yusuf says, like the, the service offerings we've added have changed as we have spent more time developing various skills. Um, cause when we started propane fitness, we had no idea how to run propane fitness um and as those skills developed it, it, you realize like okay if someone's right at the beginning of the journey we can probably help them with that like we made a ton of mistakes in that process so actually here's how to just do that way quicker um and it's the same with pretty much everything that we are both interested in if we've been doing it a long time i think once you understand that you can package your expertise and like sell it to people who are interested who are like looking for a faster um more um or effort, effortless way, um, then it's something. If, if there's demand, then we we tend to build products around it, basically. And I was I was sort of looking around your website, and it would have probably taken me about five years to look at everything that's on there because I, I, there's, as I said to you before, there's like a million videos for a start, and I don't know how many podcast episodes. Uh, was I, I? I thought I saw that you were on uh, Tool of Tool of Tribes, Tribes of uh, Tim Ferriss. Yeah, Tools of Titans. Tool of Titans, that was it, yeah. So were you we, interviewed by, by Tim Ferriss? I, I wish we were, no. We, we, um, we basically asked each other the, the questions that are asked in the book. Um, so we, do, we did a version of that podcast like two, three years ago where we just went through those questions, which the questions are quite difficult. Like, what, you know, what's the most impactful purchase you've had for under £100? Or what would you have on a billboard for everybody to read? Um, and we recently went back and did the same questions again, just to, as like a contrast and comparison. But no, we ha- we haven't been interviewed by Tim Ferriss. Right, not, okay. Because I didn't qu- have time. Quite at that. 
<laughs> I didn't have time to, to, to really dig in. I think I couldn't play the video or something. I can't remember what the reason was, but I was intrigued by, by that. So, so now you've answered. And so how, what did you find the difference between those two exercises? Happily, it was actually fairly similar, the, the answers we gave, which I think is it's nice to know that at least you're consistent in, your, in yourself with the answers you give. You know, we weren't directly contradicting ourselves. Um, but yeah, I think that from what I can remember, the answers were fairly similar. Certainly an, an evolution of the thought processes in that. And, and you can see like a refinement of the methods that we've been using. And I think at this stage, it's been a case of like, we've fumbled through probably the first five years of propane was like a lot of failures, like failing hard, fumbling around, like making a lot of quite painful mistakes. And then as things start to refine and um, you've, find a model that works well the challenge then becomes doing that model consistently and not getting distracted by the shiny object syndrome mm. and so i think we have become to use greg McEwen's term more essentialist as time has gone on mm. narrowing the focus of what we've been doing and really drilling down on a single sales method a single um kind of content pipeline and doing that and a lot of that is down to johnny's ability to just plug himself into microsoft excel <laughs> enter the matrix and just go hard on the numbers and um kind of iterate on a very metric based sales method so you've really kind of figured out the power of the niche yeah i think we it, it's it's really more about not necessarily the niche, but more the, the processes we have. So we, I think as you step into any world, whether it's fitness, habit development, self-improvement, business, online fitness businesses especially, you kind of, you do a Google, a quick Google search to see what kind of information is out there. And then two years later, all you've done is accumulate all like the, the thousand possible things you could do. Um, and the way that we appraise whether those are a good idea or not is we, just throw ourselves into each one of them fully. So we came from a place of having like 30 funnels and 20 products and lots of things in lots of different directions, very scattered focus. And so the past, I think certainly 2020 and this year has just been stripping all of that away and saying, well, if we have our time and the cash in the business and the energy we're going to devote, like how do we point that on just the things that are giving us an asymmetric output rather than, spreading that very thinly um and that that you know shines through in what we teach people as well so if you if you had business coaching from us back in 2015 it would have just been a mess to be honest um whereas now you know we're we're so confident on the, the one or two processes that we know work that's what we teach um so, so that's people, kind of the, that's the development so people that come into you for coaching are they do they normally say right this this is the specific thing that i would like to learn from you or they just ask you for kind of general coaching? I mean, what, what typically happens? It's usually outcome-based. So um, for business stuff especially, it's usually people want to take a skill set they have and monetize that online. Um, there's obviously lots of different people with different opinions and advice on how to do that. And we have our own spin on that that I think is a little bit different to the norm. Um, for fitness stuff, it is typically strength-based, fat loss-based, or sometimes people want to work with Yusuf to try and uh, flip around the living room in the same way that he can. Um, or, you know, it might be 
um, I'm, I'm looking to kind of improve my career and I don't know where to go and can I, I want to learn more of like, so Yusuf's got tons of content on YouTube about productivity and how he manages his time. He gets asked about that a lot. So we do get inquiries for that sort of thing as well. Um, because a lot of what we talk about in other podcasts like Modern Wisdom is um, like the hacks, the tricks, the, the ways that we sort of manage a, an ever increasing workload. Um, we get asked about that stuff as well. But it's usually, people normally come with a question of like, I'd really like to achieve this, but I don't know how to. And I think you guys might know the answer, but I'm not sure. Can you help me? So that's typically how, how the coaching conversation starts. And, and what would you say in your development as coaches over the last few years? What has been the biggest change? What have you discovered about yourselves as coaches? That's a good question. <laughs> that's a good question. <laughs> I need a moment, I think. Oh, there's someone at the door as well. Two seconds. Oh, how convenient. Yeah. How convenient. <laughs> That's a difficult question. I just, I'm a bit busy. Um, could you say the question again? So I'm just wondering what you've discovered about yourself as coaches over the last few years as, you, as you've changed things. I think the, just kind of not answering your question, but hopefully this, this answers it in a, in, a, in a way. I think the, like, as, as we've developed, as the processes we've we use have developed and changed. I think the thing that I've become more aware of in my in myself is how easy it is to um, to like make an emotional kind of knee jerk reaction to something. Um, so one of the reasons why I lean so heavily on things like spreadsheets and numbers and data and all that sort of stuff is when you are ultimately your own boss and a lot of the people we coach and teach on the business side of things, it's, it's like it's just them. I sometimes don't even have a, a team or anybody else to, to speak to or like run a decision past. Um, something, you know, you're in a room on your own in front of your laptop and basically something appears on the screen that's stressful, right? For a reason that's like nothing that a bear is not going to come get you, but someone said something or got a notification and it's unpleasant. And you have to like take that information and process that in context of like, how does this affect the next, this timeline, this timeline, this timeline, all these other things that I'm doing. And how do I react appropriately and proportionately to that? Um, and I think the thing that I realized was I need these systems in place to be to allow me to make kind of the, the rational, objective, non-emotional decision to stuff. Um, so I think probably that my development over the years of, of coaching more and more people is I've relied more on, you know, how do I step away and give myself a bit of a gap, pause to say, well, how do I make the right decision? Even if it's like a client complains or a client's got a problem or a client doesn't know what to do, how do we come back to a principle or a, like a framework that we can use? Or how do we look at the numbers of the situation to make the right decision? Mm. So that like, like I'm certainly known or Yusuf certainly describes me as the, like the spreadsheet guy. But I think that is the, that is the symptom, a symptom of a, a change in how I look at stuff, um, mm. which is, you know, how do I not react emotionally to things? Hopefully that's answering answering your question, but I'm sure now Yusuf's cheated and taken time away to go and answer the door with like an even better answer. Uh, yeah, I have indeed, but I very very much agree with with Johnny's approach there, which is to you develop your own set of algorithms, which are a response to inputs, problems, things that come into your life. And over time, you have to iterate on those algorithms that they're either based on like, if this, then that criteria, 
or quantitative ones that you say when this hits this number or when this is lower than this or whatever then act on this and and do xyz tracking the numbers is important to begin with because as johnny always says what gets measured gets managed and if you have an overview of all of the all the numbers all of the kind of inputs that are coming into your life you can then say okay here's what i can here's some conclusions that i can draw here are the lead variables here are the lag variables and here's how i can act on them and if i'm faced with a situation in the future i know that the last 15 times this happened this was the outcome 80% of the time so i'm going to stick with this there's a great book by ray dalio um called principles which i'm sure you've heard of or read um and he dives into that hard um he's a hedge fund manager very similar kind of analytical mindset and it's it's just talking about like really the way that he trained his um algorithmic trading system to work with the markets and then have you have human input and then you have the what the computer outputs and over time they start to converge because the computer takes in as many variables as possible and produces a more and more refined result and sometimes there's something the computer didn't pick up on and then you go ah okay here's something outside of the model that the model didn't account for let's put that into the model and now the models become even better mm-hmm. so i think that's one big part of it so that's the the systems approach or the the algorithmic kind of model to to making decisions in terms of wider systems the other thing that i've learned is that you have to to try and figure all of that out yourself is such a long process and we don't live for that long on this earth that you probably it, it's a waste of time to try and figure everything out yourself in almost any problem that you want to solve as an individual someone has already done it before or someone's at least made several steps towards doing that most of the time it's not someone it's a whole institution has got a system for it so if you look at the times that you've made the most success with anything in your life it's usually when you've entered a system that is pre-existing and a large number of very intelligent people have already made a lot of the mistakes and 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 learned a lot of the lessons and turned it into a process and then you enter that it raises your standards it allows you to make the results a lot faster because you're benefiting from centuries of of lessons and failures and everything and you've skipped the queue and it eliminates the kind of slipping back to the lowest common denominator because it's a system that is greater than you and demands more from you than you thought was was possible so really that that realization is kind of coming round to to thinking like i need to stay stupid here i need to not be so arrogant and think i can figure it out on my own and also not think that just every time a decision comes up i've got to like start from first principles and figure out how to do it because instead it's most of it's been laid out for you and just a case of turning up and following the process and so I'm wondering based on what you've both just been saying it sounds like you're able to give your clients such help them so much more than you were five six years ago yeah yeah I think that's true um I think the <clears throat> It's why I was like so. With one of the questions that 
one of the most common questions that our clients ask us is, as you said, touched on before, like who do I who do I work with? Um, and the reason we say you four or five years ago is is because of that, right? Like you, I think you're always. If I think all of us, if we could go back and speak to ourselves five years ago, you had ten minutes with that person, like what you could prevent or uh, double down on, like the little tidbits of advice that would have just saved so much frustration or wasted time, money, energy, etc. It has it has such an impact, and it's actually like it would be hard to put a value on that in terms of the what that's worth to somebody. Um, so I think like just the more we learn the better our coaching gets, the better our mm. products become. Um, and I suppose also the more sure we become on the stuff that we're teaching because the more people you work with, the more you see the systems you've created kind of play out in the real world. Because I think the, the problem with coaching is, you, and, and this is kind of, I suppose, the problem with the market for coaching as well, you can have a result yourself for what you think is a reason. So you get people who are extremely successful and they try to rationalize the success and say, oh, well, it was the following things. Like the reason um, I'm, my business is doing this, the reason my podcast has this many downloads is this system I followed. But actually it could have just been five or six lucky situations that played out at once that you can't replicate. So it's like, okay, I have, I've had success personally. To assume you can just coach that is too presumptive. I think you have to then see that replicate somehow. And the more people you replicate that model with, the more wrinkles you see in in the process like okay when we tried when we taught this system to yoga teachers this is what happened when we taught the system to this market this is what happened etc and that that feeds into as you says you kind of put that data back into what you're teaching and it gets better and better and better over time and, and more and more accurate um so i suppose from like a business perspective we're more and more confident now that when someone comes to us the first iteration of the process that we have them launch is more and more likely to work first time. And I think that'll, I don't think it'll ever get to 100% because there's no guarantees in these things, but it's getting better and better over time. Um, so yeah, I think it's just, it's it's volume. Um, you know, the more reps we've done, the, the more our skill set is uh, is refined in the bed. I don't think that, hopefully that never ends um, and we always get better and we can always deliver a better service. And are there any, like real, what was the most common issue you see with the clients you're working with what, what are the problems that most people are facing if there is one you can think of I'll, I've got I'll, I'll, I think I'll say something that'll, that'll trigger something deep inside of you Seth. Um so we were actually talking about this in a meeting earlier today where it's like we're always asking the question of how do we how do we improve the the rate of success so like the speed that people reach a certain point um, and then the number of people who succeed with what we do first time and all that sort of stuff. Um, and the biggest sticking point is not actually like the stuff that people think. So it's not the, the technicalities of ads or funnels or uh, the software they use or anything like that. It's a usually a very basic like, self-management problem of some, most things that people really want to do are incredibly difficult and require a lot of work and require like short-term sacrifice for long-term reward. So a lot of the stuff is like, it can be exciting. It's the same with everything we teach, basically, whether it's abs or a business. Um, it's not going to happen now. It's also not going to happen by tomorrow, but the actions need to be done now and tomorrow and the next day and the next day. So it's 
the, the biggest the biggest challenge we face with helping people is ensuring they stay consistent with the basic stuff that sometimes isn't that exciting. Mm. Especially when, again, in both markets, the clients are in a world where the marketing implies that it's very exciting. So the marketing around improving your online fitness business is like 10 grand a day, 10 grand a month, easy, no problem. And then the, the fitness market, like everyone's seen fitness marketing, right, around short-term fixes. So that's the status quo. And we have to detrain someone from thinking like that and, and actually get them to think, well, if you just do the following things consistently over the next 12 weeks, you'll be at this point, but you need to be consistent. So that's the, so I never thought that would be the case. Like I never thought that would be the, um, the hardest part of, of coaching someone or kind of the most consistent problem. Mm-hmm. But if we can just get someone to engage with the system, they get results. It's the gap that exists that we have to try and minimize. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> this is the, the concept of staying stupid. Like problem one is picking the right system, mm-hmm. making sure, because obviously if you pick a bad system, it's only going to make you as good as the system is. And then step two is, staying stupid enough to just do the system and when i say staying stupid it's like not trying to be so clever that you end up like second guessing everything and overthinking and never moving forward because you're always trying to like and and we see that maybe more clearly with fitness so with someone who's program hopping jumping between different programs or they they take a famous you know they take five three one and then they look at dog crap and and then they look at um you know german volume training and they go right i'm gonna mix them all together and make the ultimate program and you're like well no like each one is a system in itself and it will work if you just do it but trying to like make this frankenstein doesn't work so yeah as johnny says it's <clears throat> it's more the the meta skill of just turning up and doing the thing and not getting in your own way. And as glib as it sounds, and I, you know, when I used to see this comment of people saying, how you do anything is how you do everything. And I'd always be like, oh yeah, great, very clever. <laughs> but, but actually, the more, the more, uh, the more we've gone deep into the business stuff recently, the more that rings true. We hope you're enjoying this episode of the Habits and Health podcast, where we believe creating healthy habits should be easy. If you are looking for deep support to create the health and life you want, we invite you to consider one-on-one coaching sessions with Tony. Coaching sessions give you personalised guidance to fit your unique goals and life situation. Only a limited number of spots are available, but you can easily get started by booking a free introductory call at tonywinyard.com. Now back to the show. It's funny, as you were saying, Johnny, about the um, people expecting results immediately. I've in in the last few months, it's become more and more evident to me that that applies to almost every aspect of life. Now you could think of it in in like people, the food they eat, they want to eat like really nice food, regardless of how bad that might be for them. And the food that's good for them, they won't. It might not taste great immediately, but although that's going to be better for them long term. And then it apply it applies to the food that we eat. It applies to learning a language. It applies to learning almost anything you can think of it seems yeah it's, it's i mean it's something that i, I imagine both of us yusuf were, were taught at uni um there's like a concept in behavioral behavioral economics where they talk about so the utility of, of timelines so 
you know, what something's worth now versus what something is worth in the future. And how basically one of the greatest problems in society is it's hard to appropriately evaluate the reward received from that you receive from something today versus the reward you receive in 30 days from something. So like, mm. why is everybody not walking around with abs, with great blood, blood work and why is disease not uh, disease rates, not at an all time low? Well, it's because like the short term behaviors like mm. smoking, being sedentary, overeating, over consuming calories, not exercising has a higher short term reward. Um, but like the difficult the difficult thing now is the thing that's better for us in 30 days, right? And whoever the hell designed it to be like that is sadistic and awful. Um, but yeah, that's, I think it's the same thing with, you know, as you say, procrastinating over a task now because it's difficult, it's uncomfortable and you don't know what the answer is or skipping the gym is the same problem as building a business or whatever it is basically. Um, so it is unfortunately. So go ahead. Well, I was just going to say what I find fascinating is that, um, in a few books I've been reading, they've been having the same problems for the last 2,000 years because Aristotle and people like that were talking about the same thing you know, 2,500 mm. years ago or whenever it was. Yeah, which I think just means we're, we're doomed, don't we? Like, no, if they haven't cracked it in 2,000 years, <laughs> it's very unlikely that the, like the course you've just purchased has got the answer. So, <laughs> Wow, what a damning indictment. <laughs> <laughs> modern uh, modern life <laughs> uh, i'm gonna change the topic i mean one thing i, I mentioned to you that i did want to touch upon at some point during the episode was recovery and it's mostly because i i know a lot of people who work out you know on, on a very frequent basis um and at all different sort of skill levels of, of whatever it is they do but the thing that i come across a lot is that how many people don't truly understand recovery and these are non-professional athletes um and some people think it's just a matter of taking one day off every couple of weeks or maybe just having an afternoon off or whatever the case may be and they don't realize that the true growth occurs in in recovery how how important recovery is so i'd love to get your take on the importance of recovery sure so the body is built up of multiple homeostatic mechanisms that are balances on either side of a scale and when you train obviously you're digging into your reserve into your recovery capacity and i think the whole go hard or go home movement kind of ignores the fact that your ability to recover from the training volume that you accumulate is commensurate with your ability to recover it's it sorry the the (laughs) the gains that you make are commensurate with the um the ability to recover from that volume that you do. And so sleep is a massive part of that, but also being able to switch on and off your fight-flight response. The problem with modern life is that when we're sedentary, when we eat dodgy foods and when we're, we're sat at computers and we're, we, you know, we're on our phones all day and especially the notifications and the compulsive dopamine signaling that we all um are thrown into with with social media and everything it's a recipe for anxiety and if you look on google trends for example you can see the rates of anxiety climbing over the last 10 years like people searching for that term even has has gone through the roof so we're i think you're very right to say that recovery is a very unsexy 
underrated topic that is really the driver of people's progress. Mm. And so I think it comes, you want, you want to start with looking at sleep because it's just something that everyone does. And most people do quite badly, despite the fact that it's a third of our life that we spend doing. And the best way to look at that is to say, what happens if we are underslept? Well, emotional regulation drops appetite regulation is worse we become more hungry and we prefer naughty foods we don't recover from our training as well our blood glucose homeostasis is worse our cortisol raises all these problems as a result of not sleeping properly and then that causes us to then need more coffee and then that affects our ability to sleep the following night and then we create this this cycle so a lot of people would be much better served rather than trying to increase their training volume or worrying about training seven or six days a week, to just drop drop all that and just go a bit more minimal and focus on how can I get my, my sleep as optimized as possible. And you think of it in terms of, yes, you've got the two sides of the nervous system, the sympathetic and the parasympathetic. One is mobilizing all of the fatty acids and glucose and being able to draw on the energy that you have to expend it for something but sometimes we get stuck in that and actually the parasympathetic is just as much required to repair and and refill those reserves so looking at some daily practice that you can do ideally double up do it before bed and then you improve your sleep quality too which could just be turning off all screens closing the loops that you have with with work stop looking at emails at a certain point of the evening doing some stretching, winding down, maybe take some magnesium, have a hot bath. All these things to just get yourself to wind down. Meditate, breathe, whatever you need to. And I think there's a much higher yield um, result with that stuff than there is just digging the hole harder with training. Mm. What would you say, let's take two imaginary examples. You've got one guy who's a regular runner, so he runs, I don't know, maybe each time he runs, he does five, 10 miles. And then you've got someone else who's doing CrossFit on a regular basis and that really going hard. If, I mean, I, I know this is a bit uh, like asking the question, how long is a piece of string? But for those two examples, what, how many days should they be having like total rest or maybe rest where they're just, they're not doing any workouts, but they're just doing, doing some stretching? I mean, would you be able to give, some kind of loose advice for those kind of examples? Yeah. Oh, go ahead, Johnny. We oh, Okay. Um, well, it might, it might contradict what you're about to say, but I'll, right. I'll try and we'll see. Um, so I think I, I, I think it's quite, you've got to be quite careful who you give that, what Yusuf just said, that kind of advice to. So I really agree with all of it, but it's, there's a fine line where it can all be taken as, oh, yeah, don't have to train. Like, doesn't doesn't matter. Recovery is more important. So it, I think it, it does depend on what, you know, the, the, the position someone's already in. So to answer the question, um, how would I approach that problem? Or like, how do I approach like mapping out a training week for someone who is a runner and a CrossFit athlete? I think the way I personally look at the balance of recovery and stimulus or recovery and training volume is like, what are you trying to improve or, you know, which number are you trying to, like, what is the adaptation that you're trying to create? Because if, if the adaptation is occurring, so if, if you're a runner and you're trying to 
improve your 10k or if you're trying to like i don't know improve your myth or whatever the crossfit crossfit's harder because it's it's easier to not know whether you're adapting or not um because there's no like consistent benchmarks but in my training like if i'm adding volume consistently and i'm getting stronger then probably my recovery is sufficient like if you're having consistently good training sessions and if you're consistently improving it's pretty difficult to do that Mm. if you're not appropriately recovered like so it and that's why it very much depends in my view on on who you're saying that to because if someone's doing very low output training um or not really pushing the boundaries um it can be hard to know well actually are they anywhere near the ceiling of what they could recover from with their existing like if you heard of the the sink analogy of like the size of the sink the size of the plug hole the water is the volume so you can either increase the capacity the size of the sink you can increase the rate of drainage there's all this sort of ways of looking at it but ultimately if someone sinks just half full <laughs> like recovery is not really the consideration so i would i would make the training decision on are you are you improving or not because if you're not improving it might be a recovery problem but it also might be that you're just not providing enough stimulus in the first place so i would test both and then arrive at this balance for your recovery capacity because that is going to be different depending on like if someone's a hedge fund manager and they're looking at stocks and shares until the market closes and then waking up at 3 a.m. for when a certain market opens. Their recovery capacity is different from someone who had, you know, works their own hours, etc. Um, so I don't know whether that contradicts what you're about to say, Yusuf. But no, I think that's, that's a really nice analogy. And yeah, the, the question then is how, how big is your sink, isn't it? Because exactly the, the answer that we first, first gave, you know, you said if someone's training six days a week, or should they add in a seventh? Like, in that situation, you've got someone who's got maybe a big sink because they're an advanced, you know, they've been training for a while, so they've they've slowly upgraded to the the premium one from um, uh, Thank one, you. Uh, Parker and Stonehouse. But, <laughs> <laughs> but they're, they're filling their tap really really fast, and what's happening is there's a bit of water spilling over. It's draining. They're actually doing a bit of excess volume that they can actually they can they can recover from. So they're doing some wasted work. In that situation, you want to increase the drainage, improve their recovery. On the other hand, you might have someone that's got little sink, but drips of water going through and it's draining out easily. They're recovering and they could benefit from actually a bit more volume. And then with this hypothetical sink, if you drain enough water through the sink, it gives you money to buy a a bigger sink. Um, So I think the, the best, like the, the way to think of it is if you look at Matt Fraser, I know he's not doing CrossFit anymore, but the fittest man on earth, should he go from six days to seven? Like he, he probably can, and it probably isn't a problem because he's, he's got a huge sink, probably one of the biggest sinks in the world and a really good drain. And he could have like a hose pipe, like a fire hose in there and he would still be able to deal with it. So it does depend on, like the starting situation, the goal. And I think most importantly, the like North star is if I'm doing this amount of work and I'm improving and it's probably all fine. And you don't need to go down the rabbit hole of, am I, am I recovered or not? Or should I look at my, these different metrics? Because the, it's very, very difficult to improve the skill without appropriately recovering. Mm. And so I, I personally, I look at that and then make decisions off the back of it. But on that, day or on the actual time they take to recover 
Should, is it just a case of just total relaxation or is some stretches still okay on that recovery day or, or, or what would you say on that? There's a, what's his name? Ben, Ben Pakulski, bodybuilder. He has got a great way of looking at this and he, he says even the word rest day and there's a few, actually there's a few terms in fitness like cheat day as well that I, I take issue with. But the word rest day, he's, he's like, I just call it parasympathetic day. And that totally reframes it. Because then it's like, oh, rather than just lying on the floor, you, or, or, you know, Netflix and Doritos, it's how can I engage my parasympathetic nervous system? So you're still doing work. You're still saying, right, I'm going to spend 30 minutes doing breath work or um, yoga or walking or some, something that is still activity it's active rest you're you know you're, you're getting your circulation your heart heart rate going all that kind of thing but it's done in a way that doesn't dig into your recovery capacity or at least compared to powerlifting or bodybuilding training it's not digging into it with a spade it's just taking a <laughs> teaspoon and um you know something gentle to to keep you moving and help help that process along so um yeah, I, I would say look at parasympathetic days rather than rest days. In terms of specific activities, yeah, stretching is fine. Um, I know Kit Lachlan makes a distinction between stretching and limbering, where limbering is kind of moving to the edge of your limit and kind of exploring the, the particular positions that you're wanting to, to do, but you're not going hard on the like contract, relax, and holding these positions slightly beyond your reach and, and so on. They're done less frequently and more intensely. The other activity you can do is walking. Walking is always great. But if you've got DOMS, I find one of the best things to do, let's say you've been squatting on Monday and you've done 10 by 10, slow eccentric, and you've been off the gym for months and you've made yourself really sore and you've well overdone your recovery capacity. On the Tuesday, you might be struggling to like sit on the toilet and stuff. So in that case just do a set of 50 squats in the mid range of the movement with no weight, just enough to just get the blood going through the muscles and just alleviate some of that soreness. Just to add to the analogy that you used there. So that I think that when, when I was more, when I was competing a lot more in powerlifting, you would, you would come across like the more serious people, like the people who were like at the top of the, weight class or whatever and they they basically while it's not a professional sport they still treated themselves like a professional athlete mm-hmm. and i think if you imagine to tomorrow you need to perform at your absolute best mm-hmm. you automatically think of today in a certain way so you automatically think oh i need to get an early night or i need to eat in a certain way there's an analogy that kelly starrett the becoming a supple leopard guy uses which is like turning the ship around mm-hmm. which it, if you imagine like a plane lands like an easy jet plane lands if it just like sat on the runway and they didn't empty the bins and they didn't refresh things and then tomorrow's like, oh, we'll fly again. Like it's in a pretty bad situation versus seeing it as, well, what do I need to do today for tomorrow to be a, a good training session? And that is the same, it's similar to what you were saying. Like, well, what are the things that I can do? It's not that I can't do anything. In actual fact, probably doing nothing's worse than mm-hmm. having some kind of preparatory work in there, whether it's like range of motion work or, um, re- re- specific recovery stuff, even mental recovery stuff, um, to make to maximize on tomorrow. Um, I think most 
most people I've seen who take their sport very, very seriously look at it like that. And it's you very, very rarely see them completely doing nothing for a day, mm-hmm. which I always thought was strange, but makes sense when you when the goal is like, how do I perform at my best consistently day in, day out? Like you're probably going to have some kind of undoing or balancing the work that you did yesterday or the day before or the week before. And what do you think about the sort of data that you get from these wearables on around sort of recovery and, and so on? You know, any thoughts on that? Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think I did a bit of a damning review of the Aura Ring recently, which I didn't mean it to be damning. Like, I think it's a really cool bit of kit. Like, it's an amazingly interesting bit of hardware. Like, for anyone who doesn't know, I guess if you're listening, it's a ring that you, you wear and it tracks your temperature, your heart rate, your heart rate variability, and your steps. And I tried it out for a few months. And it's cool from a tech perspective, but it tells you what you already know. Like I was working night shift and, and I was working night shifts, for example, and I got called to a, a cardiac arrest doing compressions and my heart rate went up to like I don't know, 110, 120. But like, there's no surprise that you're in a high stress situation at two in the morning where you've been like, you know, um, at the same time, if you catch little bits of sleep or you have a nap and it, it, it tells you when you've been sleeping and then it, and the next day after a night shift, it goes, Oh, you, you're pretty under recovered. You're like, well, I know that I feel awful. So in my opinion, these tools are great to, to, to like make us conscious of what we're doing and keeping us aware of our habits. But what would be even better to level up that would be to develop the internal sense of feel. And usually it does correlate with what the numbers are telling you. But if you can hone that and become really good at it, then you've developed an interoception. You've developed an ability that you're carrying around with you all the time, which is pretty cool. The other problem I have with them, or the... And this will change if we can completely decentralize health data. Now, that's a dangerous concept, isn't it? Because if we do that, it opens up a whole bunch of worry about insurance companies and selling your data and commoditizing it and all that kind of thing. But let's assume that for research purposes, all health data was completely decentralized, completely open sourced, and it had a, a way of accurately tracking what people are doing then the advances in medical science and in research would be absolutely exponential. It would be amazing. Mm. Um, but until then, if you're just working with you and your smartwatch and saying like, oh, I meditated today and I, I slept a bit better or oh, I trained today and now like my heart rate went up and now I'm a bit tired. Like we know that stuff already intuitively. Like it's not going to give you this like amazing revelation unless we get, you know, thousands of bits of data from millions of people Mm. can you see any way that they might be able to improve that to be more reliable more usable over the next few years i think and this probably is going to happen at some point is if apple do it i think apple (laughs) are probably the only company that i trust that what johnny and i both trust with um with this kind of thing um, just based on the fact that was it not they had a they, they were 
some kind of terror investigation and it was locked on someone's iPhone and Apple were like, no, we're not opening it <laughs> in the face of the court, which is it's, it's pretty cool to know that they're like, that's how much they, mm. you know, obviously not, not great for prosecuting the terrorists, but um, mm. that they really stand by their, their data privacy laws. Mm. So that would avoid some of the downsides of decentralizing all health data. And they're probably the ones to do it because Apple Watch is very advanced in terms of what they can track. Most people's phones track so many bits of data and obviously steps and sleep and everything else that it's probably the way to to get that sorted, as you said. Hmm. Well, have you got any um, what suggestions would you give to listeners as regards to habits and creating habits that are useful in terms of your sort of health and fitness that, that you've certainly been helping your clients with maybe. Yeah. Um, it's quite hard to distill it down into a few things. I guess the, so, to, so a habit that I think is uh, pretty helpful, which actually ties back into the track the wearables thing. Um, I think the recovery side of wearables does not, I can just in, like with what you've just said, like I think it's not the accuracy is not there yet to be able to rely on something, you know, to look at something in the morning and say, yes, I'm not going to train today because there's just too much, vari- there's too much variance and too much error in that. What I personally use wearables for is like to ensure that I'm ticking boxes. So I think we, as we discussed before, like just getting enough sleep is such like a, it's such a, a grandparent piece of advice, isn't it? To like make sure you get your eight hours it really is the thing that, you know, forget your gratitude journal and your green tea or your bulletproof coffee or whatever, like just getting eight hours of deep sleep in a, in a night will completely change how you feel on a day. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think I see not being sedentary as, as a similar thing. So I think if I spend all day kind of like sat, sat in the same position, not moving, um, you know, maybe I'll do a training session, but largely I'm just like sat in my, sat in my chair um, and then I get not very much sleep. I tend to feel pretty rubbish and that tends to compound and I feel worse and worse. <laughs> so what I use a wearable for, I just use a Fitbit and I just track, I have like a weekly step target and a sleep, a daily sleep target. And I don't think of it in any more detail than that. Um, right. You know, as long as I'm ticking the box, like am I, am I moving enough? Yep. Am I sleeping enough? Yep. Forget about it. And the wearable just allows me to make sure those things are happening. Um, because I think without that information, I'm not, you know, as you said, saying like on the extreme ends, you'll know, like on the extreme, if you're completely sedentary, you'll know if you're not getting enough sleep and you're very under, underslept, you'll know. But I think both of those things have this creeping effect where you're getting like six hours, 50, six hours, 40, six hours, 30, six hours, 15. And you convince yourself more and more that ah, it's okay. I don't need any more sleep. Or before you know it, you're doing like 300 steps a day but it's declined slowly over time. So it just, it's a way of enabling a level of consistency. So I'd say those two habits, if you do nothing else, like obviously there's all the nutritional stuff, all the training stuff that has to, I think, match the person's goal. But I don't think there's anybody that I would work with that I would say, be totally sedentary and get no sleep. Like <laughs> it doesn't matter whether you're, you're it, literally irrelevant of the goal. It, it is, um, it is those two things are the, are the things I would, the boxes I'd tick every day. So those would be the habits. You got any thoughts on that, Yusuf? 
Yeah, I, I agree. I think the power of the creep is is pretty high. Um, and it's that, that's why, like, we recommend people track their intake, for example, on, you know, MyFitnessPal. More recently, I've been using Chronometer. Um, it used to be, that was an old app I used, like, 10, 11 years ago, and it's still going. And actually, now that they've got a full barcode scanner and everything, I think it's better than MyFitnessPal. But that, as an aside... Um, we recommend people do that until they get really good at being able to like Eric Helms jokes about like people being able to look at a potato and saying that's 112 grams or, you know, like really accurate. And then you graduate from having to do that because you've got a good feel for it. Mm. Even when someone's an absolute Jedi master and they're able to just intuitively know what kind of macros they're eating or whatever, still recommend just occasionally just track a random day and just check that what you thought you've eaten matches up with what you have eaten. Because mm. it's very easy for over time just that drift to occur and for you to just gradually be overeating, even by like one or 200 calories that will compound over a year or so. So just to have little checkpoints where you're like, hang on, am I still in line with reality here? Well, if people want to find out more about you, where are the best places to look? So the two kind of hubs of what we do um, would be if you're interested in the, the fitness side of, of the advice we give, the coach we do, the products we have, it is propanefitness.com. Um, if it's more the business side, it is propane-business.com. There's a funny story about the, uh, the dash. Um, and then we have podcasts for both. So if you'd like to listen to the podcasts, it's on the respective websites um, there's further training and downloads. There's a, we have a macro calculator, a calorie calculator, if you'd like to get that as well. Um, but yeah, those two websites are the places to go. And, and now I'm intrigued as to the funny story about the dash. <laughs> uh, yeah, the the guy who was selling just propanebusiness.com, I think wanted 30 grand for the domain. So we were like, mm, I think we'll have to give it a pass on this time. <laughs> It's the fact that Hank from King of the Hill runs a propane business, runs a propane gas business. So like the propane business podcast, couldn't get that. Propane business. We get a lot of Google search results for people searching for the propane business. Um, so it's just very unfortunate that we didn't give it more thought when we expanded into business coaching that propane business maybe isn't the best thing to call it. But I guess we've got a, we've got a story out of it. So. Both, both of the business names started out as like either a joke, which Propane Fitness was a joke, that then turned into a 10-year saga. And uh, Propane Business was a, like a, oh, we don't know what to call it, so a quick think of something. Um, but great podcast material. So it, it just shows that if you want to set up a business, just pick the crappest name that you can and it's, it's guaranteed to do well. <laughs> there you go. That's, That's the best piece of advice. Yeah. Listen, just before we finish, I want to get both of your takes on, is there a book in the last few months or the last year or so that has really grabbed you for whatever reason that you would recommend to anyone listening? So for me, it's been Essentialism by Greg McEwen. And I think I mentioned that a bit earlier. Mm. Um, it's a book that I, a friend of ours, Chris, kept prodding me to read it. And I was like, oh, it looks a bit pop psychology, 
pop business can't really like no, it, I, I bet it's the kind of book that you can just summarize on one page and you know just do a do one thing and then it, but actually it digs deep into the the practical applications of what it means to be an essentialist and I'm very glad that I did I think that's just because it's a book that met me at the right time mm. I was very and still I'm battling with being very fragmented in my focus with lots of things and it's just been a, a really good reminder for me so I think over the last year that's been a big one for me I think we because uh, we, we spoke about this recently and I think we both arrived at the idea that the books we keep coming back to so like the books we keep recommending to people the books we like read multiple times aren't like a single concept it's like a and almost like a way of living or an operating system so like atomic habits is a good example of that like if all you did for the rest of your life was just apply what's in atomic habits probably do quite well quite a lot of things um i think the thing that i've over the last year that's had the biggest impact on me is a really really ancient book really in the, in the context of like self-improvement which is just getting things done by david allen um rereading that and actually putting it all into practice um in a digital sense, I don't go around with a with a labeler and a file of facts and all that sort of stuff. But the digital version of, um, I think, having a capture process, having like a, a as clear a mind as you can, because you know everything you need to do is in a system, is has such an impact on a day to day. So yeah, I'd re- highly recommend reading that. If you've not read that, if any of your listeners haven't read that, highly recommend giving that a read. Johnny, Yusuf, it's been a, a pleasure for the last hour. Thank you for, for generously sharing all your you know, your knowledge and your experience. It's been, um, yeah, it's been great. Thank you. It's a pleasure. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks for having us on. Next week, episode 13 with Professor Vincent Walsh of University College London. He's a professor in human brain research and applied cognitive neuroscience. And he says that his goal is to use neuroscience to improve high performance in sport, high pressure decision making and advanced human brain stimulation in cognition and health. And he's particularly interested in sleep, plasticity and extending classical findings to older people. And it's a fascinating discussion we have um, around sleep, around learning around the brain um yeah i really really enjoyed this maybe one of the best episodes ever so that's next week episode 13 with professor vincent walsh hope you've enjoyed this week's show with johnny and yusuf if you've got value from this please do share it with someone who you think would also really appreciate some of the great um information and suggestions and knowledge that johnny and yusuf shared with us why not subscribe and have a great week see you next week Thanks for tuning in to the Habits and Health Podcast, where we believe creating healthy habits should be easy. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review on your favorite podcast app. Sign up for email updates and learn about coaching and workshop opportunities at TonyWinyard.com. See you next time on the Habits and Health Podcast.